Holy Moses. Have you ever said those words? Who said those words? You've said Holy Moses, that phrase. Kind of an older phrase. I mean, we don't really use that phrase anymore. I mean, it's kind of fallen out of current culture. Now we have other ways to express our surprise. Holy, you fill in the blank. Um, we don't really use Holy Moses anymore. And Moses is kind of an interesting, you know, person to use in that phrase. You know, Holy Moses. How many people, you know, in your spheres of influence even really know the story of Moses? Like, how many of you knew uh, the, the whole story of Moses, maybe when you were a kid, maybe, you, maybe some of you went to Sunday school, I don't know if there's some Sunday school folks in here back in the day, represent, I think when I was a kid, my first, you know, idea of who Moses was, was kind of this bearded guy, kind of looks like a, you know, a, a traveling guru of sorts, with a, you know, of course, always got to have a robe, if you're a Bible character, you have to have a robe, right, you have to have a robe, but that was my thought, and it was always on this felt board, Back in the day, and you see Moses there in the little, the burning bush thing on there. Anybody with me? Maybe it's just me. But I have to say that when I think of Moses, I can't help but think of this 1956 film that was like iconic. And, and if you've seen this, you know it's a four-hour crazy thing. And, uh, you know, here, here's this, you know, this, Again, there's this Moses, this iconic character. It's like Moses versus Pharaoh. And then there's like superhero stuff that happens. You know, it's kind of a cool story. If you were going to be someone in the Bible, Moses wouldn't be a half bad guy to, to be. He got to do some cool things. And of course, if you saw the movie, you know that it's played by, at least Moses, the character of Moses, is played by Charlton Heston. Kind of his like signature role, right? What else did Charlton Heston do? You do other big roles. That's the only one I can think of for Charlton Heston. You know, he's this big, you know, iconic guy here. He's got, the, of course, the, the Santa Claus beard, the robe. You've got to have that if you're going to be in a Bible story for, for some odd reason. But, um, yeah, he got to play this, this iconic role, and, and he's the sage, and he leads the, the, the people of Israel out of slavery. It's this, this epic sort of adventure. And, of course, Charlton Heston is pitted against the Pharaoh, and he's played by none other than Yul Brenner, right? I think both of these actors have passed away, right? So we could talk about it. No, these guys were, were pitted against each other in the film. And I, I, I looked up the film a little bit because it's, it's a pretty fascinating story. The director, I guess the producer guy, Cecil, I can't remember his last name, but he, uh, this was kind of a final like gamble for him. And he spent a good amount of money. In fact, this particular feature film was actually filmed on location in Egypt. I don't even know how many films were done like that back in the day, but like they went on site, you know, to these ancient places, and he spent a whole bunch of money. It was the biggest production ever up to that point, you know, even more than, you know, Gone with the Wind. It was bigger than all of that, all these, you know, pretty high-end actors, and then uh, he, you know, he spent all this money. It was the biggest set ever done for a film. Now, some of you are thinking, maybe you're younger, and you're like, oh, this is an old film. I've never seen it. I bet you have. Okay, just hang on. This particular film has been replayed every year. Anybody know what time of year they normally replay it? Easter, or if you're Jewish, Passover, right? They've been rerunning this puppy every year since 1973. So everybody in this room is probably, whether you realize it or not, you've seen some clip of this particular film. This has had a 45-year run 
on network broadcast television. I know that's kind of out now. We're streamers now and we're all that high tech. But it's had this huge run. And why? Why this, why this fascination over Moses? Well, we're going to talk about that because there's some good reason why we, even now, even in our culture, kind of far removed from the whole thing, but there's, a, there's good reason why we're still sort of fascinated. And in the first century, as the early church was trying to get its traction going, the Jesus movement was maybe three or four decades old. It was trying to get traction. And as it was growing out of the Jewish movement, there were many in the Jewish circles that were still trying to hold on to some things from the, the, the Old Testament covenant and try to bring that in into the new era of Jesus. And it was causing some conflict. And so our writer in Hebrews today, if you've been following along, we're going to be now dipping into chapter 3. And we are going to be talking a little bit about this idea of Moses and what sets him apart, but how Jesus is still better than even the iconic superhero-like guy named Moses. Let's uh, pause for a word of prayer, and then uh, we'll get started here. Father, we thank you for your love for us, your faithfulness. Oh, Lord, it's Sunday. Thank you for the new week. Thank you for a new day. I thank you for a new dawn this morning, and that today we celebrate together like this as a church family. We celebrate the resurrection, because that happened so long ago on a Sunday. And so, Lord, today we just hit the reset button. We take a deep breath, and we want to hear from you today. I pray that you'd speak to every heart here, Father, and may you do a powerful thing by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are, we are squarely into episode three. If you've missed any of these episodes, please catch up with us on our app or our podcast uh, just to keep you up to speed. And some of you, you've got your journals handy. I see several people have them. That's awesome. It's a good way just to kind of take notes and, and carry that into your week. Now, we're going to you know, continue now in episode three, kind of building on everything that the writer of Hebrews has already been saying. Remember this, just a quick review, just a few minutes. But remember in chapter one, you know, we start with, there was this epic start to this whole book. It was like long ago in a galaxy far, far away. It's kind of how this book starts. But it's basically saying, hey, long ago and in many ways, God was speaking in all these different ways. You remember that? Speaking in all these different ways. There was prophets and God spoke through, well, we're talking about Moses. He spoke through a burning bush. God was speaking through all these things. But in these last days, he spoke to us by his son, the very son of God. God himself put on flesh, walked among us, gave us the final word on everything of this new covenant and this new way of life, brand new hope, brand new freedom, and it was a beautiful thing. So the writer starts that way. And then if you remember, last week, many of you have, have sent me questions or asked me th- some things about this. We talked a lot about angels. So if you missed last weekend, catch, catch up with that one. Because the writer then goes into how Jesus is actually way bigger and better than any angel could ever be. Because he created angels. And angels worship him, not the other way around. So we talked about that. And again, that must have been something in the early church. Remember, we're in these early decades of the church early decades the Jesus movement is very very young and so we have these writers trying to get us back on track when the early church was starting to fend maybe back to the old covenant or back to other things that were distractions and so Jesus is better than the angels and today now if any of the audience that this writer was writing to here in Hebrews had any doubt the writer is going to bring up Moses with a capital M and say, even Jesus is better than Moses. So let's lean in. We're at chapter 3. 
I've got it on my smartphone here. If you guys have a smartphone device, it's a great way to, to stay connected with Jesus throughout the week. Here's uh, Hebrews chapter 3. I'm reading uh, in uh, the English Standard Version. Your version might be different, and that's okay. Verse, uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. Therefore, remember everything we've already talked about. Therefore, holy brothers. And, and again, that can be brothers and sisters. It's a word that can allow both, all right? Oh, uh, therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. I love this phrase, consider Jesus. He's going to return to this phrase several times. Consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory, here we go, than Moses. As much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. Big difference. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in hope. Consider Jesus. I love that there's, a, there's this kind of obscure Greek term that's used for consider. And, and you don't have to remember this. Maybe this is a nerd moment for you. I love these words. Kata o eo which means to perceive, to remark, to observe, to understand, but really to fix one's eyes and mind upon. Consider, fix your eyes upon. We talked about that last week. Turn your eyes, right, toward Jesus. He is the builder of the house. He is the son. Moses was the servant, not the builder of the house. See the difference there? He's trying to show that Moses was a great guy. Again, we talked last week, angels do great things, but they're not superior to Jesus. He is the final word. And I think, you know, the writer's kind of given us some logic here. So you know, Jesus and the Father are one, right? We've already, we've already learned that in chapter one. And the Father is the creator of all things, right? So he's the house builder. And therefore, Jesus is the builder, whereas Moses was built, by Jesus. See, this is a common way that an orator or a speaker back then would kind of go from, from the lesser to the greater, kind of like we started last week, the lesser to the greater. It's a very common argument. We'll see this throughout the whole book. So the lesser to the greater. So again, and, and many of us in this room are like, well, of course we know Jesus is better. But remember, if you're in the first century, maybe you came out of a Jewish background, who is your go-to rock star? It's Moses. And so the writer He's kind of stepping on some toes here. So yes, Moses is great. He's not, he's not dismissing the role that Moses played, but he wasn't the builder of the house. Jesus is the builder of the house. And so we're trying to put the right, right priorities in the right place at the right, at the right, uh, the priority here. Now, now I, 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 I have to say this, verse six is something that uh, you may read over and you think, well, what's, what's going on with that? And, and we're going to find some phrases in the, this letter, this, this book, this, this message really, kind of I, I think of it as like a TED Talk almost from the first century. And we're going to see the writer use phrases that have some responsibility for us 
too. God is the one, the creator, who's created salvation. We are saved by grace through faith. That is our given. That is our, our, our cornerstone. But we have some responsibilities. And the writer is not going to shy away from our responsibilities. And what does he say in chapter 6? Did you catch that? Let me read it one more time. If you've got your device, pull it up here. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son, and we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting and hope. Our eyes have to be on Jesus. He is our hope. And so there's an if clause there. And we will see this several times. And I know this is not popular, maybe in church circles, but I think sometimes we do need to lean in to our responsibility. Yes, we know we're saved by grace through faith. There's no question there, right? Nobody's questioning that. But we have a responsibility. And we have things that God wants us to do. Not to earn our salvation, but to live up to the calling that he's called us to. A greater calling. To move us forward. To be more Christ-like in our world. And so the writer says, if we hold fast to our confidence. And this is sort of like this, kind of this free and fearless boldness. That we trust that God will do what he says he's going to do. Now let me just pause for a second. And this is something that maybe you can take a note on. It may help you as you're studying scripture. This is something that I did with my kids all the way in their growing up years. And it's, a, it's something that um, missionaries will use on the, on the mission field when the scriptures have not been translated into their native dialect. So Wycliffe Bible translators, some of these groups will use this technique up until they can get, you know, the, the, the scriptures translated into a particular language. And there's this way that they would look at scripture and they would try to do it in a storytelling sort of way. But they would ask three questions when we're studying scripture. And these might help you. You might write these down. Number one, what do we learn about the characters here? And so you can see kind of that's a good question for kids, too, if you're a grandparent, if you're, if you're a, a mom or dad. These are great questions because we can, in this even chapter, so what do we learn about Moses? You know, what do we, what do we learn about Jesus here? What do we learn about the characters? That's the first question that could be helpful for you in studying Scripture or even helping your kids or grandkids uh, kind of look at, you know, the Scriptures. We learn that Jesus, he's an apostle, high priest. He's faithful. He's worthy of more glory than Moses. Uh, he's the builder of all, of, of all things. He's the builder of humanity. And we learn that Moses, he was a faithful servant too, but he was a servant. He was built by God. He has less glory, and he also testifies to God's truth. So what do we learn about the characters? That's question number one. Question number two is, what do we learn about God in these verses? Now, I realize sometimes, depending on the passage that you're reading, that may not always be easy to discern, right? What do we learn about, what do we learn about God here? Well, in this case, uh, you know, we learn that God's the builder, right? He's the builder of all things. That's not surprising. And in a sense, we are, we are God's house. You know, he built us. We are, we are God's house. And in fact, we learn in, the, in other writings in the New Testament that God comes to live inside of us. That's what the, the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit is all about. The Holy Spirit comes into, and, in, into us. And so we have this fellowship with God because his Holy Spirit comes inside us, helps us. And, 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 and leads us and helps us, to, you know, exhibit the, the, the gifts of the Spirit. So God is the, the builder of us, and then he comes to live inside of us when we decide, hey, I want to be a follower of Jesus. So that's the second question. What do we learn about God in these verses? And the final question is, and you probably saw this coming, what do we take away? Like, what, what is something for us? 
that we can learn from this passage. And in this case, we could say, well, I know I'm built by Jesus. You know, Jesus built. And, I, and I'm part of God's house. Um, I have full confidence. And, I can, and I, can, I can even boast in the hope of Jesus. And so I can have full confidence. I can, I can have full confidence in the hope that Jesus provides. So that's a couple of things that might help you. Um, in your study, and especially if you have kids or grandkids, again, it's a great thing to do uh, to take the stories or parts of Scripture and kind of break them down like that. And, um, and then maybe God will call you to the mission field because now you know how to do that. So everybody just freaked out right there. I saw your faces. I'm not going to Africa. No way. Anyway, but uh, kind of a cool thing. I, it really helped my kids learn the Scriptures, you know, all the major stories. Uh, you know, depending on who you talk to, uh, different missionaries will say, well, there's 150 important ones in the scriptures from cover to cover, like 150 stories. Now, again, uh, this technique may not work so well in books like Leviticus and that sort of thing, all right? You can kind of see, well, that probably wouldn't... But some of those are not age-appropriate anyway. So it's like if you're going to try to walk your three-year-old through the scriptures, you know, you might want to save Leviticus maybe for another time or parts of Genesis, you, you make that call. Well, Jesus here, and this is really important. Let's, I will unpause now. Jesus is, is better than Moses. We find that out. The writer's making that clear. But in the New Testament, and this is other, beyond this particular you know, book that we're studying, even the book of Matthew, Jesus is presented as the new Moses. Now think about that for a second. Why, why, how, why would Jesus be presented by the New Testament writers as the new Moses? What makes Jesus the new Moses? I mean, what did old Moses do for the people of Israel? Yeah, it's, I mean, you've seen the story. Kind of leader, you know, his people, the, the Hebrew people are under slavery, right? So there's a slavery aspect there of, of him bringing, Moses bringing the people out of slavery, right? Now, how does that apply to Jesus? What kind of slavery does Jesus free us from? Sin, the tyranny of sin, the slavery of sin. We don't have to do this. We need not do this anymore. He has broken the sin chains. Right? So you see there's a connection between kind of some of the work that Moses did and what Jesus does as kind of like this new Moses. He's this, this new Moses. In fact, uh, I read a commentary uh, this, this past week and it was talking about how really when you look at the uh, the, the, the book of Matthew, which if you're familiar with the New Testament, it's like the first book in the New, New Testament, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one of the four Gospels. If you look closely at the way that Matthew kind of lays out even his account of Jesus, there's a kind of a similarity to the first five books of the Old Testament in the way that he presents Jesus as sort of this new Moses. You know, from Jesus bringing salvation, but also this idea of, of, of redemption and exodus from the old way. So there's this amazing correlation between the old Moses and Jesus as the new and greater Moses. In fact, if you want, if, if you want to press me even farther, Deuteronomy 18. If you have a Bible, if you're super fast, find Deuteronomy 18, verse 15. Listen to what Moses himself says. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you. Jesus had a, had a line there, a family line. From your brother's. It is to him you shall listen. Even Moses knew there was someone greater coming who was going to save people, not just from their sins of last month 
he was going to pay the ultimate price for every sin, past, present, and future. See, even Moses knew there was, an, there was someone coming. There was someone coming, right? Prophet Isaiah, in, 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 in Isaiah 43, starting with verse, verse 15, just listen to a few of these. You don't have to look it up. I am the Lord your God, the Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings forth chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they can't rise, they are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way. There's, there's even hint there of like, you know, the exodus and the, and the chariots thrown into the sea. You see, the writers knew in, in, in Deuteronomy, the, the, Moses knew there was a, a, a new and better coming. A new and better. And that was Jesus, the new Moses. You know, when Jesus came on the scene, you know, the nation of Israel hadn't had a prophet. Hadn't had a, you know, a spokesperson. Hadn't had someone kind of rallying the troops for, for, for what, three or four hundred years. And so... And so John the Baptist came on the scene, and what did people think John the Baptist was? What were, what were they suspecting? Maybe a prophet? He's kind of doing some interesting, he, kind of do, he looks kind of like Elijah. You know, he's hanging out. Maybe this is the Messiah. Maybe this is the one we were expecting, right? That was going on. Even the, the Jewish leadership were kind of wondering, hey, John, are you, are, you, are, are you the guy? And, of course, you remember, John is like, well, no, I'm not. There's one coming that I, I'm not even worthy to, you know, untie sandals. I mean, the new and better Moses is coming. And John was kind of the, the, the revelator of that. He was like, it's coming. He was the one creating the way, the path for the new Moses to come. And what a powerful moment that would have been for John the Baptist when Jesus comes walking down to the water and John knows right away. And here he is, the new Moses, and John gets to baptize him. John tries to get out of it, too. Like, I'm not worthy to do And Jesus says, hey, this is to fulfill all righteousness. Let's do this thing. Because Jesus knew, even then, he was headed to that. But the scriptures tell us that he, 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 looked, he had joy in his heart because he knew what this was going to do. It's going to free humanity. He is the new Moses. He was going to free people from their sin that they've been plagued with for so long. Jesus came to be the new Moses. He became Israel's new teacher. Now, granted, the nation didn't necessarily like him. As we know the story, we we talk about it at Christmas, we talk about it at Easter. Not everybody was on board on the Jesus train. They thought he was too radical. The things he was doing didn't seem like a Messiah thing to do. He He didn't seem to be garnering for power and for position. He was serving the least of these. He was touching lepers. You don't do that. This is the king. He has a David line. They weren't necessarily on board with this new Moses. But he was God's ultimate final word. What was going to happen in his life was exactly what God had planned from the beginning of time. He is Israel's true prophet, priest, and king. He's all three of those combined. He's the inaugurator of the new covenant. And so the old Moses has been superseded by the new Moses, and that's who Jesus is. Now, we, we kind of know this, right? I mean, now, I mean, we look back and we go, oh, those, those, you know, those folks in the early church, they just weren't very smart like we are. You know, they weren't as smart as us. 
So you may wonder, okay, and that's not true, but you may wonder why, why the writer was, again, spending all this time, again, this, this first part of the passage, trying to make sure that the, 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 the early church knew Jesus was the new Moses. Why do you think the writer spent so much time on this? Now, you know, what's the deal? Why, why Jesus needed to be proven supreme over Moses? Well, think about, think about Moses for a second. I know for the, for, for if you were a young person in the first, second, third century, and the, the church is starting to, to, to go crazy, you grew up as a, a good Jewish boy or girl, you learned the stories of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but then you learned about Moses. And he had these superhero-like qualities, and so, again, the people were, in many ways, the Jewish nation was still pretty fascinated by Moses. So for Jesus to become the new Moses, they had to really be convinced. And so the writer here is saying, he is, he is it. And you think about it, the first big portion of the Bible, there's a lot about Moses in there. I mean, think about all the things that Moses did. We know that, you know, he kind of had a rough beginning, okay? Right, they were trying to, back when he was born, uh, you know, the, the, the nation of, of Egypt where he was at, they, were th- they thought there were too many Hebrew people and they were going to overrun the country. So they were trying to do this, you know, kind of like quota on kids. And if someone was born, it was this tragic thing where like if, if boys were born, they were supposed to, you know, kill them or whatever. And, and you had this whole beginning in the book of Exodus, if you want to go back to it, kind of a rough beginning. The mom kind of creates this scheme where, I don't even know how this worked, but they're at the Nile River, and the baby's born, and here's baby Moses, and she puts him in this waterproof basket, I don't know, some kind of raft thing, and kind of floats it over to where she knew the Pharaoh's household would be doing their washing or whatever. And you've, you've heard this story, right? And, and, and so then the, the princess, I guess, finds the baby, and, oh, we're going to raise this kid up. And then Moses' mom, in a, a stroke of genius, goes, hey, uh, sis, big sister, would you go and talk to her? And maybe we can help, you know, kind of be the wet nurse. Then, like, the princess says, that seems like a good idea. So Moses' mom, like, gets to raise him. Right under the nose of the whole, you know, Egyptian leadership. And then we find out, of course, he grows up and realizes he's not an Egyptian very quickly, right? And we have this whole thing where he realizes it. And then there's this thing where he, I don't know what he was thinking. He got, he noticed some conflict with the, you know, the Egyptian, maybe slave masters or whatever, and there's this conflict and ended up where Moses killed somebody, then like buries him in the sand. I don't know what he was thinking. Then, the, you know, the Pharaoh finds out he's on the run, you know, and he's, uh, you know, meets God at a burning bush when he's about, what, 80 years old, something like that. And God does this cool thing through him. So for the nation of Israel, you know, just like us, we're still kind of enthralled by the story. I mean, he saw the burning bush. Later we find out Moses, he saw God, you know. I know there's kind of this thing where, you know, God passed by him and he saw, but he saw God. He had a staff that could turn into a snake. I mean, all the, all the plagues and all these things. That, I mean, Moses was kind of like a superhero, right? He had a superhero thing. He didn't fly, but like he could, like, you know, by God's power, obviously, strike a rock and there's water coming out, you know, better than, you know, sparkling water. I don't know what it was. Struck the rock, bam. People are needing food, bam. You know, manna comes from this. I mean, amazing. Moses does all these things. I mean, he's just the first leader of the nation. I mean, he is the nation builder of Israel. How many of us get to say that? Nation builder. He's the guy. In essence, the whole first covenant thing was done under Moses' watch. 
the great Ten Commandments and all of these things, the things that Moses saw. Amazing. And you know what's most amazing of it all? When God talked about Moses, he said, you know, not many like this, my, my servant Moses. God calls him faithful. That made him pretty special. I mean, wouldn't that feel good? God calls you faithful? Man, I want to hear that someday. I want to hear him say, when we all cross over, well done, good and faithful servant. You know, well done. God called Moses faithful. Even with all that, though, Jesus was a new Moses, the new and better Moses. And so the people had to wrestle with this transition. What do we do now with this Jesus? And that's why the writer is going to say today and several times later, consider Jesus. Kata o'eo. Turn your eyes on him. Focus on him. Consider him. Jesus now has all authority on heaven and earth. He said that at the end of Matthew. He has all authority. When Jesus arrived on the scene, he made all things new. That's who Isaiah was talking about. All things have been made new. So, you know, again, the, the people that were hearing this for the first time, back in the first century, again, the, the Jesus movements early on, and they had to wrestle with this. So Jesus is our new Moses. He ushers in a new covenant. Moses had the old covenant. Now Jesus brings a new covenant in his blood. He is God's ultimate, ultimate answer to it all. Moses was the servant, but Jesus is God. And so ultimately, what about us? Ultimately, you and I have to consider Jesus. We have to wrestle with Jesus. Many of you, maybe you're, you decided to follow Jesus a long time ago, and, and you're just learning to walk the way of Jesus, and that's tough day in and day out. Many of you are maybe on the fence, not sure about this whole Jesus guy. But we have to consider him. If he's not your Lord and Savior, who is? Because someone takes that spot. You know, I've seen people worship all kinds of things. They don't call it worship. No, we don't call that worship. But we will put things at the top of our priority list. And if it's not Jesus, it might be your career. It might be your kids. It might be some kind of financial security. It might be some entrepreneurial effort that you have. But anything above Jesus, even Moses, is out of place. Only Jesus can be at that top spot. So we have to consider kata o'echo. We have to consider Jesus. Look to him. Who is your king? Who is your king over you? That's what the people then had to wrestle with. Who is king? Is it Moses or Jesus? And that's what we have to wrestle with. Is it you or is it Jesus? Consider Jesus. This is my only takeaway today. Place your hope only in Jesus. That is our only hope. And that's just not when you decide to follow Jesus. That means your entire life. You are saying every time we get up, every Sunday morning, Every time we go to take communion together as a family, we're saying, Jesus is Lord. I'm not. Our only hope is Jesus. Our only hope when you've been following Jesus 20 years is Jesus, and your only hope the day you decide to follow Jesus is the same. He is our only hope. The gospel is every day real. Many of you know what I'm talking about. Today is a new day. It's a time to reset, and today we freshly place our hope only on Jesus. Again, imagine if that's what we started every conversation with. Not every conversation. I can't, you can't do that at work. I'm just saying when the next big political thing comes up or the next big thing on social media pops up and people are this or that, 
what if we could just say, you know, I don't know about all that, but I can tell you my life was radically changed when I encountered Jesus Christ. You know? These side issues, they're interesting, but he is my only hope. What if we could live that out? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you for your love and faithfulness to us. Your mercies are new every morning. For I'm so, I'm so thankful that the writer here is reminding us to consider Jesus, not just when we decide to follow him, but every day. Father, help us to consider your son Jesus every day, to ponder him, to fix our eyes on him. To, 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 in, a, in a world of crazy, all kinds of things going on, so much noise that we would, we would make Jesus our North Pole, that, that he would be that place that we come back to every single day. Father, we consider Jesus and we place our only hope in him. We pray all this in Jesus' name together. Amen.